Humility helps the one who possesses it more than it does the person with whom the humility is expressed to. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In today's sermon, Humility, taken from John 13, we will look at how Jesus' humility is demonstrated in washing of the disciples' feet as he's headed to the cross, despite the fact that he knows that they will betray him and he is going to die. This gives us a perfect example of how we are to view ourselves as Christians in the world, even though we know that people do not always have our best intent at heart. We live in a world that doesn't value humility. Why? Because people see humility as weak. And nobody wants to be taken advantage of. We feel like we're taken advantage of enough in this life. We don't receive the pay we want. We don't get the respect we deserve. So when we're called to be humble, it requires of us to lower our status in our minds to the service of others. And we feel that we have done that enough in this society. And so we don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be considered weak. We don't want to be trampled on, looked down upon. But as Christians, that's one of the things that Jesus calls us to, to be humble in our everyday interactions with people. We're supposed to have a sense of humility as we interact with each other. And this is not just a New Testament teaching. See, there's... Old and New Testament passages that speak to this humility that we're going to have. And I just want to look at a few of them to put them on your mind before we uh, get into this sermon. And the first one we're going to start with is 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. And if you want, you can follow with me. I'll read it straight out the Bible so you could just uh, listen. But some of these are going to be familiar to us and we're already going to know it. And as I start to say it, it'll just come to your mind. But first, Peter five, starting at verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, humbling yourself puts you in a position to where you're entrusting that God will exalt you and that God will take care of you and that you really don't have to take care of yourself. Because you're relying on God. Now turn over to me to James, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verse number six. But he, speaking of God, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So part of our humility means we receive grace. And in being humble, we're fleeing from the devil. You see, there's something to the fact that when we allow God to exalt us and by ourselves lower our status, we're being better fit for service by God, but also we're evading the devil. It's resisting him by being 
humble. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. This is Jesus speaking. And this is in one of his uh, final uh, his final teaching discourse before he's going to be tried and crucified in Matthew's account. And what we'll be looking at is the eighth verse in chapter 23 of Matthew. And it reads, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see that humility that's just embedded all throughout the text? I don't have to worry about somebody calling me teacher or rabbi because God has already fulfilled that role in Jesus Christ. So there's no man on this planet who should try to usurp that type of authority so that his brothers will call him greater than he. Because Jesus is. And that's who is our teacher. That's who is our father. That's who is our Lord. But in doing that, I also understand that when I humble myself, God will exalt me. But if I exalt myself, God will humble me. I would rather be in a position to where I humble myself than where I'm humbled by God because that humbling could be eternally. And that exaltation, we know, has an eternal expectation with it. So when we humble ourselves and we don't allow ourselves to take an authoritative position over our fellow man, we find that we're actually going to be put in one by God. Humility allows us to be exalted by God. But as I said, this is not just a New Testament teaching. Let's look at Psalms as well. And the first one we're going to look at in the Old Testament is Psalms 138. And while the Psalms offer a lot of good stuff, I'm only going to look at one verse in this Psalm. But Psalm 138, and let's say we're going to look at verse number six. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, or some Bibles say the humble, but the haughty he knows from afar. So what David, in giving thanks to God, recognizes is that even while God is high, he regards those who are humble. And those who exalt themselves, he puts at a distance from him. So you humble yourself, you put yourself in a lower position, God regards you. But you put yourself in a high position, God creates a distance from you. Because he's looking for those who are humble, who exhibit humility. Now let's look at the book of Proverbs, and we're just going to do two more in the Old Testament, because I think we're starting to get the point. Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, in this section of Proverbs to where it's trying to teach a young 
person that says in a lot of contexts, my son, on how they are to tailor their life so that they could be wise, so that they can receive the benefits of God and the wisdom that's being offered. It says in three in verse thirty three. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous towards the scorners. He is scornful, but to the humble. He gives favor. You see, the way that we interact, God reciprocates. Curses on the house of the wicked. Blessings on the dwelling of the righteous. The scorners, he scorns. But to the humble, he gives favor. Think of that. You humble yourself. And God gives you favor because you have saw that you're not above nobody and that you're really willing to put yourself in a position for the benefit of others. God gives you favor. Proverbs 29, Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly or humble in spirit will obtain honor. So not only do we see that being humble, showing humility will give you favor, it will also give you honor. Think about that. You put yourself in a position to where you purposely put others above you for the sake of God and you get honored. Humility in man's eyes does not bring honor to the person who humbles themselves. But in the Lord's eyes, he blesses, he protects, he gives favor, he exalts those who will humble themselves because they have done it for the purpose of God. You see, the Old Testament and New Testament teaches that there is a benefit to being humble. And while we know this, we, we, we understand it cognitively, it's still hard to do. How easy is it to put others above you? Difficult. I think that's why the Bible has to stress it so much because it's not something that's natural to people. Why? Because to get to a point of humility, you have to cast aside everything that you have worked for. So we have been taught to work hard. We've been taught to make a name for ourselves. We've been taught to be the best that we can be in every situation. And humility says, recognize that you're the best. Recognize that you've worked hard. Recognize that you have what you have. But then throw that aside so that somebody else can be benefited from your presence. Think of... Uzziah. At 16 years old, if you were given the presidency, how humble would you be? Dare I say very slight chance that you would be humble if you was given all the authority in the land. But Uzziah, at 16 years old, he becomes the king and he reigns over God's people. And listen to what it says about Uzziah at 2 Chronicles 26. 
When he becomes the king, it says Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. I'm jumping down to verse number five. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He humbled himself in the fear of God because he had somebody teaching him what it really meant to follow God. And when he was humbled, God made him prosper. 16 years old. You would think that a person who does that at such a young age would continue on that vein. But such is not the case. He was a person. And so God prospers him and he has all of these military battles and he gets recognized by his contemporary kings in the land. And what happens when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And we know the rest of the story, how he thought that he could go in and offer incense to God. But he's a king. That's not for him. That's for the priest. But he was proud and he thought he could do something that he couldn't. He was proud in the fact that he had military battles. He was proud in the fact that God had increased his his possessions. He was proud in the fact that he was king, but that pride served him no good. He forgot that when he was humble, that's when God started to increase him. God exalted him. And just like with Uzziah, when we recognize what we have, it makes it difficult for us to be Humble because we work hard. We make a name for ourselves and we're the best that we can be. And sometimes that puts us in a better position than our peers. And we want to feel that. So we don't demonstrate humility. But the best person to ever walk this earth. Jesus Christ. Modeled something very different for us. Now we read the mindset that Jesus had in Philippians. What I want us to do is look at a demonstration of that in the book of John. And we're going to look at John 13. And it's very interesting because where John puts this uh, passage, well actually not John, where John puts it, he's just writing the story of Jesus as he as he's in on this earth. But when Jesus performs this act of humility is after he has done with all of his public teachings. So now he's in the set. He's in the context to where he's just teaching those disciples who believed in him and who are later going to give their lives for the sake of the gospel, except for John. One of them is going to betray him. But the rest of these men, he's saying, you know what? Now that I've taught the people, some have believed, the others haven't. But you who have dedicated your time, your energies to being with me, I have a deeper revelation that I want to give you because I want you to know what it really means. So that as I go and transition out of this world because my purpose is done, you know exactly how you're to be since I'm not here. And what does he do before he teaches them? He exemplifies the humility that he's asking them to demonstrate in this world. Now, before I get to this, just think. If you was given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you could heal people. Spoke in tongues. 
It says with Peter and with uh, Paul at times, people were sick and just walked in their shadows, were brought close to them, and they were healed. And you had all of this power at your disposition. If you weren't humbled, you would utilize that improperly. But to understand how you're to be as God's people, you got to be humble because you have access to a power that's otherworldly. That's not to be taken lightly. And so Jesus, as he's about to leave this earth, he does something that we wouldn't even do today. Some men don't even touch their wives' feet, let alone sit down and wash other people's feet. That's just beneath them. But Jesus Christ, the very one from heaven, did a task that even Jews was thought to be above Jewish slaves. So some Jews would only let Gentile slaves wash feet. But Jesus, understanding who he was, washes his disciples' feet. Listen to the story. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He, <clears throat> he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are all clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who would betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to him, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We're very familiar with the passage. And even though we're familiar with the passage, there's something in us that just feels uncomfortable when we read that Jesus, the son of God, took the role of a servant and washed the disciples' feet. See, we're not as 
bothered when Mary does it just a chapter ago. Because we can relate to Mary. We know that Mary understands that this is the son of God, that he has just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead, that he's cast demons out of her, that he's also going to give her eternal life. But God in the flesh washes the feet of the disciples. And what bothers us even more so is that God in the flesh washes the feet of the disciples that he knows going to betray him and use those very feet to abandon him at his lowest point. And he knows this. And yet he still washes the disciples' feet, an act of humility that he does so that they can learn from it and we're to learn something from it too. But as we look at this story, this pericope, we see a few things in here that causes us to contemplate the mindset of a savior who will humble himself to wash feet. First thing that kind of jumps out to us is Jesus was fully aware of where he was, who he was, and what was going on. Listen to this. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. You see, Jesus is fully aware of everything that's going on. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows that the devil has entered into Judas's heart and he's going to betray him. And he knows it so much so that he tells them, whom I have given this sop is the one who's going to betray me. And then when he gives it to Judas, he says, do what you do quickly. And he knows I'm going back to God. I'm from God. What am I saying? For Jesus to be as humble as he was, he was fully aware of everything. And I think that that is one of the things that allows them to be humble. Because if we're not sure of who we are, if you're not sure of why you're doing what you're doing, if you're not sure that you're going back to heaven, and if you're not even aware of the fact that there is opposition to you, I would dare say that your humility is not true humility. That you're actually trying to deceive people in your deceptive acts of humility because you're trying to gain something. You're trying to get a trust so that you can get an advantage. But Jesus, fully aware, I'm going to the cross. Jesus, fully aware, Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter, John, James, all of you others, you're going to abandon me, but I'm going back to my father. And as I humble myself to wash your feet, he's going to exalt me. I have nothing to worry about. Because in humbling myself, I lose no status. I am still the son of God, even though I have humbled myself to wash your feet. And that's the same for us. When we humble ourselves for the service of others, because Jesus told us to, we are still God's child, no matter what we do, no matter who we do it for. Because the act of humility does not take anything from us. 
Even if we humble ourselves for somebody who is going to hurt us, it takes nothing from us. Even if our act of humility leads to our death, we still will be exalted by God. So our act of humility is still beneficial. So we shouldn't look at our circumstances. We shouldn't look at the person whom we humble ourselves to serve as a reason not to do something out of humility. Because if you do, what you're really going to operate is out of a sense of pride because you don't want to lose a status, a material, a name, something that you have gotten that you feel you can control on your own strength. No. God will exalt you if you humble yourself for his cause. And to do that, you must be fully aware of who you are and why you are doing it. And do not let anybody stop you from demonstrating the humility that God is calling us all to. Because we live in a world where it is good to be safe. So we carry a gun. We got an alarm on our car. We got a dog at our house. We uh, have 911 on our phones and we keep ourselves a safe distance away from others so that we don't risk falling in harm's way. And we're scared to help people. And that fear even extends itself into the church because we know this person. They're just going to misuse us. They don't really want the good that I'm trying to give them. They don't want the gospel. So why am I going to waste my time on them? Because I'm going to lose something. And we're not humbling ourselves because we're operating out of a sense of pride. But Jesus knows Judas is about to leave to give word to the Jewish leaders to come and arrest him so he could go to the cross. Yet he still washes his feet. He washes his feet in such a way that nobody can tell that those are the very feet that's going to betray him. He washes Peter's feet when Peter will just say that even if they abandon you, I'll die with you. Oh, will you? Peter, I give you a couple hours. You're going to deny me. And I'm going to let you know when it happens, when that crow crocks, you will deny me. And he still does it. Why? Because he does it out of love. You see, to truly humble yourself, you have to love those who you have humbled yourself to perform service for. Our humility must be pure. Our humility must be purposeful. And our humility must be for the benefit of others in the service of the Lord. You see, at this time when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, as John lays it out in his gospel, other gospels will say that the disciples, they were arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest. John doesn't record that. What John records is what it really looks like to be the greatest. I'm not suggesting that we wash each other's feet. But what I will say is that It shouldn't be above us. We should have the heart to be able to serve each other in whatever capacity that's necessary 
for the uplifting of the body of Christ. And plus, if we wash each other's feet, it wouldn't be like it was in the New Testament. We got socks and shoes on. They ain't really dusty. We ain't walked miles in the dirt and sandals. We done sat in cars. <laughs> we done walked on carpets. So it wouldn't be the same as somebody who's walked miles in the, we got paved roads in unpaved roads who might have dirt at the bottom of their feet. How many of us have wives that wear sandals or men that wear sandals all day? The bottom of your foot, wife's foot is black. Just imagine washing that foot. Jesus washed 12 of those, humbled himself. And we're supposed to have that same attitude. And it's not just limited to washing feet, but that same attitude we're supposed to demonstrate to each other. So whatever it is that a brother or sister is needing, we are supposed to say, you know what? I'll help you. Why? Because I love you. Because I know that even if you misuse me, even if you take advantage of me, that the reason I did it was because I'm trying to be like Christ. So you could take it how you want because God's going to exalt me. You could disregard everything I'm offering you and you can be the Judas in the group. But I'm going to be OK because my faith is not in the fact that you take what I'm giving you and benefit from it. But my faith is in the fact that I'm demonstrating doing this because God says that's the type of people he wants. And I want to be the type of person God is trying to build his congregation with. Humility. That's what it takes. Being able to think lowly enough of yourself that you will be a benefit to others no matter how they receive it. And that's all I'm trying to get us to think about today. This world to teach us. Humility is being weak. And it is. But you know what happens? When you weaken yourself, God is strengthening you. Humility, they're just going to take advantage of me. And they might. But you know who they can't take advantage of? God. And that's who's really going to give you the advantage. Humility is not how you get ahead in this world. And they're right. We're not trying to get ahead in this world. We're trying to get ahead in heaven. And doing that requires that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Doing that requires that we put on the same mindset that Jesus had to where he did not think it was robbery to think himself equal with God, but lowered himself and took the form of him. He took the form of us being God. He came and put himself in a body and took on all of our weaknesses so that he could show us in this state how to get back to where he is at. Humbled himself because he loved us. And he knew that God would exalt him. And if we humble ourselves, 
Because we love Jesus, God will exalt us. I'm not sure where that lesson leads you, but I hope it causes you to consider your ways. I hope it causes you not to think so highly of yourself because it's easy in this world, especially in this country, to where we believe that we can achieve any status we want by our own efforts. Well, you could do all of that and you could lose out on heaven. Or you can allow the mindset that was in Christ to be in you and not think highly of yourself. But look at what God has blessed you with and use it for the benefit of spreading godliness. And what does it say in one of those gospels? What you lose in this world, you'll gain a hundredfold in heaven. Now, I'm a poor man. And I don't have as much as some of y'all. But what I lose in this world might put me at half of what you got now. (laughs) And what you lose in this world for the sake of the benefit might put you at where a Jeff Bezio is in this world. One of the richest people to walk the earth. Just think of that. God will increase us. God will keep us. And we don't have to worry about our own might because we have the most powerful powerful strength in creation at our access when we realize it ain't us humble yourselves and God will exalt you Jesus gives us the example let's follow it I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon in the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.